Welcome to the Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayamit Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about this week's Torah portion of Vayetza, Finding Our Moral Compass. Have you ever been cheated before? Have you ever been swindled? Oh, yeah, lots of times. Um, nothing terrible. I never, you know, lost millions. I didn't have millions to lose. But, yeah, sure, I've been ripped off a few times. I, uh, you know, so I look back on it. Sometimes I I applaud the uh, the swindler for his uh, smoothness, uh, to maybe to, you know, help me forget about how stupid I felt at the time. When I was a teenager uh, going to college, I, I, I remember buying a used car from somebody. This car was just horrible. But a guy shined it up, and I bought mm -hmm. it, and um, off I went. And I uh, spent a long time, you know, getting it fixed over and over again and all the things that were wrong with it. You kind of learn your lessons that way. But you know, I always wonder how people like that sleep at night, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, that's true. Have you ever felt you – know, I don't know if you've ever done that, if you ever sold somebody something knowing there was something wrong with it um, and hoping that, it, that they wouldn't notice for a while. Uh, certainly as kids, you know, I can – you know, trading stuff, trading toys, trading games, knowing that there was a, a piece missing from that puzzle. I feel still feel some guilt about those kinds of things too. Well, you know, it's funny. I moved from New York to Chicago to take the job at Ancham, but I brought a car here, which was an old car, and I sold it. And I learned that the car, I guess, didn't take the trip from New York to Chicago well mm. and wasn't really working. I gave the guy's money back and I just had a junk, but I, you know, I, I wasn't going to do that. I, no, I think nice. you're, well, yeah, I think it was the right thing to do. Yeah. But regardless, in this week's portion, we meet one of the great swindlers of all time, which, by the way, you know, since we're, this is a portion about Jacob is saying something since last week's portion, Jacob showed himself to be quite the uh, wheeler dealer. You know, he cheated his brother out of the birthright and he kind of talked his father into the birth blessing. So he's pretty good competition, but he meets his match with uh, the man who's going to be his father-in-law, Laban. And it's a really interesting portion to read from the perspective of justice. Does justice come? And what is justice? Because Jacob goes and he he has to run away from Esau, who wants to kill him. And he ends up running back to the home country, which is Haran, which, by the way, is where his mother came from. And this is where Abraham's clan had settled. Abraham left and he went to the land of Israel, but the clan is still there. And he goes there and he falls in love with Rachel, who is, by the way, his cousin, and he wants to marry her. So he goes to work for his uncle Laban for seven years. But Jacob then learns when he wakes up on his wedding morning that he's actually not married to Rachel, but to Rachel's older sister, Leah. Uh, hey, I want you. happens. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but, I mean, think about the kind of the divine justice here. Jacob swindled his brother out of the birthright when the brother was the older one. It was his right. And now Jacob is being swindled for the same issue. But in this case, he wanted the younger daughter. And he was given the older daughter. So, I mean, what do you do with that? It's an interesting story. So it's almost like saying, well, what goes around comes around. Yeah, now get, we, we, we call that karma these days. That's a very popular uh, way of explaining it. There's karmic payback here. You'll get yours. You'll see. You'll get yours, that kind of idea. Do you believe in that stuff? No, I, I don't think so. Um, I don't think it's it's that even-handed or it's that uh, well-calibrated. Although I think that it's more like if you lay down with pigs, you're going to get muddy. Like, given his ethics to begin with, 
maybe he, you know, should have recognized that this is a family that was not to be trusted. And, and maybe his own compromised idea of ethics blinds him to that. I, I'd be more interested in the cultural background, the psychologies at work here than in any kind of uh, karmic explanation to, to suggest that the scales of justice are going to balance out somehow. I think it's more like, you know, environmental. It's hit or miss when you say environmental? No, I'm saying that, that this is a guy who's who's not good or doesn't care about ethics. You know, he's used to, to shady deals. So maybe getting involved with this kind of a deal, like you work for me for seven years, and then you still can't even trust this future father-in-law to deliver on the promise that this is the world he's created. This is the world he's chosen to live in. It's more than comeuppance. It's um, cosmic payback. And it's also he's learning what it's like to be on the other side. Yeah, for sure. By the way, this is an oddity, but the name Lavan, Laban, means white. Is that a sign that Laban is sort of presenting himself as being pure as the driven snow, but really he's not? I mean, it's an interesting issue as to how, how we understand Laban. But Jacob is going to serve for another seven years and then even more to get Rachel. So he's now served 14 years to get Rachel as his wife. He now has a large family. And he ends up leaving Laban. And I guess the question is, Jacob is sort of going to the school of hard knocks. But at the end of the day, is that how you learn about life when you get cheated? How do we learn to become ethical people? Is it when you're in the presence of someone who is unethical? Is that how we learn it? Because if that's the case, then in our world, what we're seeing more and more in every level of society is that... It doesn't matter how you win, it's that is that you win. Yeah, if that were true, that, that you learned from being exposed to criminals, then criminals would be the most moral people in our society, and there would be no repeat offenders. <laughs> but I don't think that's the case. I, I'd like to argue that we could learn more about morality and, and ethical behavior by hanging around with moral people who are ethically respectable. So I think that, again, Jacob here is, you know, why does he stick around for seven more years? Why does he still want to marry into this family of cheaters? Um, those are the questions I'm thinking about as you, tell, as you tell the story. The problem for Jacob is that he's married to Rachel and he's going to leave. But, you know, it's interesting that you say that because what causes him to leave isn't sort of like, I've had enough. He doesn't have this epiphany, but rather God says, go back. God says, you have to go back and see your brother. You have to go back to the land. It's time. Had God not said that, one wonders if Jacob would have ever left and just waited Laban out to become the inheritor of that. But in the meantime, he's you know kind of suffering in all of this. I want to kind of dig down a little bit into this point, which is, if you don't separate yourself from such people, eventually you're going to be dragged into the mud with them. So do you have that ability? Or do we say, as so many are saying today, all that matters is that you win? Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, if the Godfather movies teach us anything, it's, that, you know, you do get sucked in and you don't get out. And, uh, and and winning doesn't help you feel better about yourself or to come out on top. There is no top to come out on. That's true. But if just read the papers, look at what's going on in the news. Where do we learn to be moral? I think that's the larger question. Where do we learn to be moral? Because in the world in which we live, we see lots of people playing by the rules and not getting ahead. And we see other people who don't play by the rules, and they're sort of getting away with things. They're kind of going forward. You know, if you just look at society from that point of view, there's lots of Labans walking around. 
I don't think we're going to learn how to be ethical, moral people if we're reduced to learning morality from the Godfather, then we've got a problem, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think that's what that's what religious traditions are supposed to be doing. I think that's what reading a story like this is supposed to do. It's supposed to raise the issues for you. You're supposed to be able to rehearse what it means to be enslaved, because in a sense, this is a case of human suffrage, right? He was kind of locked in he couldn't get out because the father wasn't going to let him out. And even when he does leave, by the way, Laban chases him down. This is a very scary story. This is a precursor to Israelites kind of going down into Egypt, and they're going to become enslaved, right? It's easy to sort of miss the warning signs of enslavement. It's easy to miss the warning signs of being in an immoral situation because you're benefiting in the moment. So the question that Judaism and Christianity and Islam and other in any great religion is going to deal with is how do we install a moral compass in people so that we are going to kind of make other choices? And the way that Jews do it is not simply through telling the story, but also the Torah itself saying, this is right. These are boundaries. This is right. This is wrong, right? And then for the society itself to impose kind of this idea of shame, I just think that that's a, just an interesting issue, shame and guilt, right? These are great questions. And, and certainly, you know, we hear this a lot today that everybody's out for themselves, that politics is all about getting yourself reelected. It's not about the greater good. It's not about your community. Look at, you know, the very essence of gerrymandering suggests that we're not concerned with representing the community equally. We're concerned with making sure whoever's in power stays in power. But my question to you is, is Jacob at any point turning toward a higher set of codes, a higher set of ethics? We're saying that the, that religion should be there to remind us about the greater good, about morals, about ethics, about having that moral compass. Is there any point in which Jacob has some higher set of values to turn to as he makes these decisions? Or is he just being buffeted about by the forces of self-interest? You know, it's a great question. I wish I could say, and yes, here it is. And here's where Jacob rises the occasion. What we see is Jacob struggling and He's also listening to the voice of God as he goes along. And so we see this evolution within him. And so in a very real way, Jacob isn't Abraham. You know, he's not the knight of faith, right? And he's certainly not Isaac, who is sort of this very weak, opaque figure. It's very hard to understand Isaac, right? Jacob is, in a sense, every person. He's not perfect, he's not good, and he's not bad. He's this amalgam, and he's struggling, and he gets sucked in at times, and other times he kind of goes forward. But what, you, what we do know, and this is, I think, an important point, that Jacob ultimately listens to the voice of God. He responds, and he takes risks as a result. And the fact is, is that in next week's portion, and we can talk about this, we're going to see Jacob rise to the occasion and not be Jacob. I guess we should just end with this. Yaakov, the name Jacob, is given to Jacob because Akev is a heel. So when he's born, he's holding on to his brother's heel. In other words, the struggle to be first born was already taking place in the womb. And he's mm -hmm. holding on to his brother's heel as if to say, I'm going to try and pull you back in so I can get out first, right? But what else do we know about the heel bone? The heel bone is the most crooked bone in your body, right? <laughs> so Jacob is sort of, you know, he's crooked. 
and we're watching somebody be, try to become straight. And when we come to next week's portion, he's going to get a new name. And that new name is going to be Yisrael, which is interpreted by the Torah to mean this is the one who wrestled with God and, and won. But the word Yashar in Hebrew, that was spelled the same way, but, the, uh, but pronounced differently, Yashar means straight, right? So in a sense, the crooked one went straight. And so sometimes the people of Israel are called Yeshurun, and that is a direct reference to that idea of being straight. Isn't that the challenge that we all face? That there, there are crooked parts of us, but we're trying to kind of straighten them as we go down the path of life. Yeah, the trying is everything sometimes. Sometimes it's all you can do. Sometimes, sometimes, but along the way, we have to face ourselves as well. And I think this is what we're watching with Jacob as he's reflected in the mirror of Laban. Thanks, Jonathan.